You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Japheth produced a completely other line of people and race of people. You see, the descendants of Japheth have established the great nations of the world. And America, I don't even know if you knew this or not, is in the line of descent. That is of Japheth, as you follow it through. Even as our blessedness comes from our association with the God of the Semitic people, Israel. So it would be with Japheth. After Noah awoke from his drunkenness and remembered what his sons had done to him, he issued blessings and curses. Today, Pastor Mike emphasizes this prophecy and how it traces through human history. Ham sinned against his father, Noah. So in turn, Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan. But Noah blessed Shem and Japheth, who showed him respect in his drunken state. Interestingly, we see the way this plays out in Scripture. For example, Israel, and eventually Christ, come through the line of Shem. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 9 as he continues his message, All Fall Short. of us are ever past temptation or the need of God's sustaining grace. I mean, given our gravitation towards sin, it is only the grace and the power of God which enables us to triumph. You know, let me give you an example of this. I think about the words which Jesus spoke to his disciple Peter. And remember now, Peter, in this discussion that he had with the Lord had been walking with Jesus for over a period of three years. He was one of Christ's first disciples. And he thought himself to be strong. He thought himself to be able to stand against the wilds of Satan. And on one occasion, remember when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his leaving them, he spoke about a time when they would all deny him and that they would be ashamed of him that they would be offended because of him. And how did Peter respond? He said, maybe these lightweights, you know, will be offended, but I will never be offended. And so, you know, you read that and you think to yourself, you would never catch Peter doing what Noah did here in our text of Scripture that we're treating, right? But then again, you know, on another occasion, and this kind of blew me away, The first time I I read it, it's recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in chapter 22, in verse 31. 
Jesus, in his conversation with Peter, mentions how that Satan had desired to have him and sift him like wheat. Oh, great. <laughs> great news. Boy, that just made Peter's day, I'm sure, you know? And listen, let me tell you something. What the devil wanted to do to Peter is absolutely the same thing that he wants to do to you. That is, if you're making a difference in bringing about and establishing God's kingdom. If you're not a threat to his kingdom, well, then he'll let you just play at being a Christian. You know, you can go to church and you can stand during the appropriate time, lift up your hands and sing your favorite songs, throw a couple of dollars in the offering plate, you know, and just basically you're a Sunday morning kind of a Christian. But when you get serious about your walk and your relationship with the Lord and are committed to striking a blow against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, let me tell you something, he wants to get to you. And he wants to sift you like wheat. You can be sure of that. So how did Peter, how did he respond to all of this? But the idea here is that if Jesus, and then he goes on here in his conversation, he says, okay, Satan wants desires you and wants to sift you like wheat. But Peter, here's the good news. Peter, I've prayed. I wonder how many times when we weren't even aware of it, that Satan had focused in on you, zeroed in on you, right? And wanted to sift you like wheat. And then our great mediator, right? Christ prayed for you. And I believe that he prays for us. I believe that he prays for Rick and Mina. I believe that he prays for Cameron and, and Patty, and my wife, and Diane, and myself, and my children. I believe that. I believe that he intervenes for us in, in prayer. And listen, if he didn't intervene for us in prayer, if he didn't intervene for Peter in prayer, Peter would have been toast. Peter would have been a spiritual derelict if Jesus hadn't strengthened him. Peter would have become nothing better than a castaway. Listen, you can be sure after Peter's fall, he learned, in fact, he did deny the Lord, as you know, three times before the cock crew. You can be sure after Peter's fall, he learned that it was so important to stay close to Jesus and depend upon him, to depend upon the power of Jesus, to depend upon the strength of Jesus. Listen, gang, even in our best condition, we cannot meet Satan, but in our weak and debilitated state, sinning far more than we live victoriously, we are able to conquer him, that is the devil. Why? Because Jesus has given us the victory. Folks, listen, Noah fell and so can you. So what's the answer? Stay close to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're young, middle-aged, or old, it can happen to the best of us. So here's the counsel, stay close to Jesus. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is the curse of Canaan. Now let's go back to our text, verses 22 and 23. And I gotta tell you something, this is very controversial, what I'm about to share with you. And there's been a lot of speculation as it relates to actually what's going on here. And I'm just going to do the best that I can possibly do and offer a couple of suggestions. I don't want to be dogmatic about it. But I actually think that I have the spirit. And I think I have the correct interpretation of what's going on here. I'm just going to offer it to you and, and you draw your own conclusions. But in verses 22 and 23, And Ham, the father of Canaan, 
saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So he became aware of Noah and his drunken condition. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Okay, so as a result of Ham's sin, his son, Canaan, is cursed. What's that all about? Okay, well, hang in there. I know that it's extremely puzzling. What was so terrible, first of all, what was so terrible about seeing his father naked? And why does that merit Noah's curse upon Ham's son, Canaan? I mean, what does it all mean? I mean, there's no clear evidence that Ham did anything other than see his dad naked. Although it's been suggested, it's all according to who you read, some of the commentators have suggested he did all kinds of crazy things to Noah in that drunken condition, but I don't think that there's anything to warrant that interpretation, and I don't think that we should read anything into the text other than what's recorded for us here in Genesis chapter 9. Listen, most likely, the sin of Ham lies in the way that Ham reacted to finding his father in this drunken state. You say, how would I come to that interpretation or conclusion? Well, in comparison, notice the way that the other two sons related to this particular situation of their father being drunken in that condition. You see, unlike his brothers, who wouldn't even look at their father naked, drunk, lying there on the floor. Remember, they took a sheet and then they started walking backwards, father behind them, and then covered his naked body, you see, right? Completely different way that they related to this whole situation. You see, unlike his brothers, what I think is actually going on here, and this is some conclusion that I come to by myself, I got to admit, but it, it just sits right with me. It bears witness with my spirit. But most of the commentaries that I've read that are on my shelves would agree to what I'm about to suggest. You see, unlike his brothers, Ham began to make fun of his father, dishonoring his father, and dishonoring his father's religion as well. It probably went something like this. Aha, uh -huh. there's the preacher of righteousness. There's my father in the drunken stupor, the preacher of righteousness. And so he not only dishonored his father as a parent, but he disliked him as a preacher of righteousness as well. You see, his sin was his satisfaction and joy when he caught the patriarch in this position. He was looking for, like so many other people are looking for, opportunities to soothe their own conscience. You know, do the comparison game. We become aware of someone who's fallen into sin, and we think, oh man, I know I'm bad, but at least I'm not that bad. And so we like to broadcast it to everyone, making us feel a little bit better about ourselves. You see, that's what was going on. Sort of letting himself off of the hook. I don't think that he was really interested in serving the God of Noah. That's my own personal take on this. 
that is reveling, this was his sin, he's reveling in someone else's sin rather and versus grieving for them. Grieving for them. And so that's why this whole thing is playing out the way that it was, and that's the reason why this curse was elicited by Noah. Now that brings us to our third point, and that is curse and blessing. Not only was there a curse pronounced here in this text of Scripture, but there was also a blessing. Well, so that's our third point, curse and blessing. Well, first of all, let me say, before we get into that, before we take a look at the exact results of these curses and blessings, first of all, let me draw your attention to the fact and mention that Noah came through this episode. He came through. He didn't lose his salvation, you know, contrary to what some theologians believe. I don't believe that's true, because remember who we're talking about here, the God who's patient, who's forgiving, who's long-suffering. So I don't believe that Noah lost his salvation. He came through this whole episode. I believe that he still remained a child of God. And notice here, according also to this text of Scripture, when he woke up from that drunken stupor, right, he was given another opportunity by God to be his mouthpiece. Because as we read on here in our text of Scripture, he utters these words of prophecy, which a part of it happens to be a messianic prophecy. But we'll get to that in a moment. You know, this reminds me of Jonah. And remember, Jonah was commissioned by God to go to Nineveh to warn the Ninevites, right, that if they didn't repent, that God was going to snuff them out altogether. And he didn't want to go because Jonah believed that they were just going to get their just deserves for the way that they were. And Jonah just thought that it was right that God wipe them out. So God pointed him in that direction. What happened? He jumped the ship and went in the absolute other direction. But God wouldn't have any of that, right? So he prepared the great fish and the storm upon the sea. And you know how the story goes. The great fish, whether it be a whale or whatever it was, swallowed Jonah and then regurgitated him up on the shores by the Ninevites. So he got the message, right? And he ran into the city of Nineveh and he proclaimed God's word. In 40 days, unless you repent, God's going to wipe you out. And the Bible tells us from the greatest to the least, each one of them repented of their sins. And then God halted the judgment that came upon them. And so this, this whole thing is sort of reminiscent of, of Jonah, given another opportunity. After we disobey the Lord and don't do what God asks us to do. So the man who was a drunk is now filled with the Spirit. And now being filled with the Spirit, he utters this prophecy. Let's pick up in verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine, and he knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord of the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. All right. Now, Noah's prophecy contains an outline sketch of history focused upon his descendants. That is, Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. 
you know, the three stooges, right? So let's consider, first of all, the cursing of Canaan. The cursing of Canaan, I mean, this is hard stuff. What's going on here? Wasn't it Ham? Oh, yes, you know, Canaan was the son of Ham. But wasn't it Ham who perpetrated this evil against his father Noah? Canaan wasn't even born yet. We're not given any indication that he had been born yet. So why is this curse being pronounced upon Canaan? And I got to tell you something. This is hard stuff. And I don't know if I can really offer you, you know, a dogmatic answer to that question. But I do know this. According to the book of Exodus in chapter 20 and verse 5, and I'll balance this out after I, after I quote it. Give me a moment to balance it out. It says there, the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. The idea there is that kids generally follow in their father's footsteps. So if Ham was a stinker, right, a dishonor of parents, it's more than likely that at least one of his kids would probably follow in his footsteps. And so therefore, God chose this particular individual, Canaan, and he pronounced the curse upon him. Now, I don't know if that satisfies you or not. You know, there's been, there's been a bunch of things. Someone suggested that Ham, actually Noah's son, had an incestual relationship with his mother, Noah's wife. And the illegitimate son was Canaan. And because of that, the curse was pronounced upon Canaan. But again, there's no basis for that in the scriptures. And I don't think we should add anything into the text, neither. So again, it's open to speculation. But think about this. Ham reaped what he sowed. Think about it again. You got Noah's son, Ham, and then you got his son, Canaan. He sinned as a son, Ham, and was punished in his son, Canaan. It's sort of like an eye for an eye kind of a thing going on here. But let me also mention the fact that God was merciful. He could have cursed Ham and all of his descendants. Because if you notice in chapter 10, if you jump ahead to chapter 10 and verse 6, and we're gonna, we'll get into chapter 10 next time together, but in chapter 10 and verse 6, we are told that Ham had four children. Canaan was just one of them. So God, in his mercy, restricted the punishment to only Canaan's part. Well, whatever. In the next chapter, we see these ancient people of the Near East, most of whom later were conquered by the Jews under Joshua. You know, the Canaanites, right? And so the curse upon Canaan. But notice also in this prophecy, there is the blessing. Then the blessing upon Shem. Go back to our text of scripture. There in verse 26. And Japheth as well. In verse 26, we read, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So notice the reference to Shem's God. Now, I believe that this is a messianic prophecy referring to Jesus Christ. And remember, if you follow the lines of the sons of Noah, you'll discover that the line of Shem and his lineage was narrowed down to the Semitic people. 
they all were a descendant from Shem, which ultimately produced the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, right? And so that's what this messianic prophecy is referring to here. Again, it's a messianic prophecy. You follow the line of Shem, which narrows down to the Semitic people. The Jews actually were descendants from Shem, and in his line produced the Savior, that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then notice also there's a blessing pronounced upon Japheth. Also there in verse 27, it says, And may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. So the idea here is that God will extend his territory. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the name Japheth actually means enlarge. So it's sort of like a play on words here. But the phrase, just in case you didn't know this, the phrase, live in the tents of Shem, has a spiritual application. It's not to be taken that he was going to overtake Shem's territory. That's not what it's being suggested here, that Japheth was going to overtake Shem's territory, but rather enter into his spiritual blessings through association with the Semite people. They produced, Japheth produced a completely other line of people and race of people. You see, the descendants of Japheth have established the great nations of the world. And America, I don't even know if you knew this or not, is in the line of descent, that is of Japheth, as you follow it through. Even as our blessedness comes from our association with the God of the Semitic people, Israel. So it would be with Japheth. I mean, think about it. America is great, or was great. Man, I tell you, it's on a downward spiral. Listen, the only hope for America is a revival, and it has to begin within the church. And all revivals begin in prayer. And so, folks, pray. Get on your knees. But nevertheless, in comparison, America is great, not because of our wealth or our territory, but rather because of our acquaintance with God. Gang, that's exactly how our lives become blessed. That's exactly how our lives become full and rich and protected. How? It's through our association with Jesus. What do we need to do? Stay close to him. Learn of him. Listen, my prayer for you, as well as I pray for myself, is that all of us would completely, entirely, devotedly give our hearts over to Jesus. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my heart. here at in my father's house we're going through the book of Genesis where the story of the beginning is told God made light and said that it's good God made plants and trees and said that it's good God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.